Welcome to Manga Mavericks at Movies, a show where we don't talk smack about movies. You see, folks, we got a new catchphrase. It is a simple spin on our old catchphrase that is much more accurate. Wouldn't you say? Isn't it clever? Ah, never mind. Manga Maverick at Movies is coming back strong by going back into our archives. Last year, I recorded a lot of At Movies episodes that never saw the light of day for various reasons. Either because I was too busy, or too depressed, or whatever. But I've decided that enough is enough. It is finally time to release these episodes. The oldest of these episodes have been held back for over a year already. So I'm thinking during the month of May 2018, this month, I am going to release all of the at movies recordings I have in my archives, or at the very least, as much as possible. Which is a task that would last the entire month if I released one podcast a day on YouTube. Because we definitely have over 30 recordings in archive so if i were to release all of these it would last the entire month we'll see if i get to all of them and if i can release all of them with one every day but at the very least we're gonna try and blow through a huge chunk this month so consider this manga mavericks ad movies month the entire month of may 2018 I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and there's a lot of great podcasts that you guys haven't gotten to listen to yet that are going to be coming out, starting with, of course, the oldest recordings we've got in our archives, two movie reviews we recorded in March 2017, believe it or not, our reviews of the Ghost in the Shell live-action movie and the Power Rangers live-action movie. Well, Power Rangers is always live-action, but the... Power Rangers reboot movie or whatever. Two controversial reinterpretations of beloved franchises. We reviewed both of them and we compared how good of adaptations they were. And it's quite the pairing that I think you guys will really enjoy. We have our good friend Eaton on our the Ghost in the Shell episode. And he is a great presence for that podcast as you should have come to expect from his appearances on our Sword Art Online Ordinal Scale review and our Samurai Jack Season 5 review. So look forward to hearing him on the Ghost Shell uh, review. Power Rangers is just me and Relore because we recorded that one like a week later. But yeah, these are from March 2017, so that's going to give you guys a hint of how far back we have to go here. Because... Think of it this way, pretty much every major blockbuster release and anime film that got released last year, we recorded that movies on. So we have to release podcasts for all of that stuff. So yeah, there's a lot to cover, but we're going to start here with Ghost in the Shell and Power Rangers. Enjoy the show! Holy shit. <laughs> Welcome to Movie Mavericks. 
the show where we talk smack about movies. Kill me We're now. still going with that catchphrase. I don't know. We're just rolling with it. And on today's episode, we have our good friend Ethan here. Hey. And we're going to talk about the uh, new live-action Ghost, Ghost in the, in the Shell movie. Burn it! Burn it now! <laughs> Burn right. it now! Produced and distributed by Paramount Pictures and DreamWorks and directed by Rupert Sanders and starring Scarlett Johansson as Matoka. Oh, no! Major Mira Key... What? Who cares? Killian, what her, Killian. Who cares what her what name is? It's dumb. I think Killian was the name that. of the bad guy in one of the Alien spinoffs, but Maybe. I'm retreating to better <laughs> is, places. Is it a reference to some sci-fi thing? Probably. I, probably. You know, whoop-de-doo. Great. Mm. This movie... It's I not nev- good. I, I have... In my 20 years of life, I have never witnessed a movie that after watching it I felt so demoralized <laughs> I felt so violated and betrayed I, I felt so exhausted emotionally and physically somehow I wanted to fucking burn down the theater like, walking away <laughs> from the theater I, I felt like it collapsed at any moment because I just I wanted to lie down on the floor and just cry. Cry at just how... How it was so violated fucking, it was the spirit so of Ghost bad. in the Shell. Before, Let me talk! Don't talk over me! Too far, too much farther, I just want to say, here's the weirdest part. The scenes in this movie feel rushed, but at the same time, the movie feels like it goes on forever. It's the weirdest thing. It's agonizing. It, it's it's, bad. it's It's only an hour and 40 minutes. I know? thought it was two hours. God, it it's felt an hour longer. And 40 minutes. Oh, okay. It, it felt, felt like longer. Hours. It felt so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> the original Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 animated movie directed by Mamoru Oshii, that, that movie is pretty short. It's only 80 minutes, and it feels like it goes by super fast, but you know something? It feels like a lot more happened in that movie than it happened in the new movie. On a side note, what the fuck were they showing Oshi when they brought him on, like, set? Were they showing him random fucking scenes with no dialogue? Because how would he enjoy this? Okay, listen, man. Oshi, you know, people praise him as this very high-concept director and stuff, but he also has his, you know... Uh, his certain taste. He's a John, Scarlett Johansson. She's the kind of chick that, you know, he's fond of. She looks nice in a bodysuit. I, yeah, as know, a straight male, I can just come out and say, she looks nice in a bodysuit. I can understand that part. Yeah, you know, so, she could, he'd probably get, I, it's easy to see why he'd get behind her casting as Motoko. We like all want to get behind her in that bodysuit. You yeah, sure? Oh, uh, yeah, I have no comment on that. And <laughs> like he is very like he's a good ideas guy. He like has these great like high concept ideas, but he's also like real visuals guy. And I can see, I can sort of see how he'd be impressed visually with this movie. Like that's the main big takeaway comment that he had made before. Is that this is like the best looking Ghost in the Shell iteration? I completely yeah. disagree. This this movie does not look unique or distinct or interesting at all. Generic it's, sci-fi movie 101. Yeah. It's basically Blade Runner, again, which all sci-fi, futuristic cyberpunk movies look now like now. 
No, because no. it's Blade fault. Runner after crashing through a hot topic because everyone dresses like they're in the fucking Matrix. Yep, everyone dresses in monochromatic, boring colors. Like the entire city is blue for some reason. It's it's very drab, very dark and, and blue. Not dirty. <sighs> it doesn't look lived in like the original did. Yes, like that was the beauty of the city design, the the background designs, and the original Ghost in the Shell. It felt lived in. It felt like it felt real, man. It like there's this amazing three minute sequence in the middle of the movie where it's just showing you shots of the city, and it's all so beautiful. It was feel, that all feels so real. With the guy in the cloak. No. Oh, okay, never mind then. It's just a shot where, like, they're riding in this boat, and we just see a right. whole bunch of scenes of the city, you know, just set to the, set to the main theme of the movie. And it's like a three-minute sequence, and it's just really, really awe-inspiring. And, like, it shows you the breadth of this world. It shows you, like, this feels like... This feels... That... 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 The city, as portrayed in the 1995 anime movie, feels so much more real than this version in the live-action iteration. That movie felt so... That setting felt so much more believable than the CGI, or, you know, some of it was real, sure. But, like, the blue-toned, super... Oh, dude, there's a bunch of holograms and blah, 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 stuff that they have in this. With all the future adverts, the like, all the establishing shots felt like the film version of a pop-up ad. It really did. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I can't believe that this movie feels like more commercialized and cynical than freaking Power Rangers, which literally has the fact that the Zeo Crystal is hidden under a Krispy Kreme as a major plot point. <laughs> That was funny though. <laughs> it was, and it was it was amazing, and it was. Oh, it was Power Rangers is the kind of stupid shit where you can yeah. get away with it. This is Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Or it should have been. And I don't want to keep saying, "Oh, but the original did this and that." Let me make this perfectly clear: this is not a good movie on its own merit. And then it gets worse when you compare it to the original movie. It's not good on any front, but I don't want to keep ragging about how the original was better. Okay, let's talk about the white elephant in the room. The whitewashing controversy. Starlet Gohansson as Motoko. I never had any problem with the casting because this is an adaptation. You set something in a foreign culture. Of course, you're going to change ethnicities, whatever. What I do have a issue is how they treat it in this movie. Because it's one thing if you had set Ghost in a Shell in, like, a Western environment, but this movie is very Japanophilic. Yep. Like, it's set in a Neo-Tokyo setting. There are a lot of Asian people, Japanese people in this city. Pretty much everyone except the main characters is of Asian heritage. Exactly. And it is so strange and out of place. What's, yeah, what's also weird is that they even make it clear that... The Major's original body was Japanese. Yeah. Literally, the plot point is that the Major was a, once a Japanese woman named Matoko Kosanagi, and then she was transplanted into the body of a white Scar woman. Scar body. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we'll I get think into that I think they thought they were being smart and clever by doing that. But no. it's all the more offensive. Dumb. And they don't have anything to say about 
that why that is wrong in terms of like cultural appropriation and uh dissemination and like destruction like destruction of heritage and ethnicity and ethnicity like literal whitewashing it doesn't have anything to say about that it's just like oh they violated her rights the other problem with this is that in the original film, if you remember the intro sequence, it clearly states that there are still racial divides. Like, when you're cyberized, you won't change your race, because there still is that racial stigma. Sure. Yeah, and, and like, you still even, like, if we go to standalone complex and other stuff, like, all, all these countries are still fighting with each other. Like, a Japanese woman is not going to become a white person when they cyberize themselves. That contradicts a big, big, like, kind of aspect of the Ghost in the Shell franchise. But the bad it, guys were doing it, and it's part of their evil plan, so it's totally okay, guys. Yeah, in this <laughs> case, the thing is that she didn't give her consent, so, you know, they forced her into the white woman body and whatever. It, it's it's offensive. It, and what's what's more offensive is, like... Okay, it's not more offensive, but it's just so strange. They got beat Takeshi... Famous director, famous Japanese, like, star, comedian. He, he's a, he's a great, like, talent. Like, they got him to play Chief Aramaki. And he's the only character in the entire movie who speaks Japanese. Cause, I guess he, I mean, Vitakeshi probably doesn't have. Yeah. Uh, he, he, it probably would sound more natural for him to talk in Japanese than English. Cause, you know, he's a Japanese actor. At the same time, though, it feels so jarring. <laughs> it's it's like... jarring, cause everyone's responding to him as if he's, so if it's, he's just saying English, like, it, they never make it clear, like, it's a, you can imply that everyone can just understand other languages, but, like, it, they never make that clear, they, and they never establish that, and they don't establish, like, why is Chief Aramaki, like, t- just talking Japanese when everyone in the city besides him can speak English? Even, it makes no sense. Even the aforementioned Asian people primarily speak in English. Yeah, like, Saito and Toga says, Actors in this film are Asian. They they speak English. And the only other time where a character speaks a language other than Asian is like uh, other than English is like when, uh, towards the end when Aramaki is talking to Saito before Saito shoots down the yeah. helicopter and then Saito responds to Japanese and like Saito was speaking in English before. So yeah, why did they change so, that? Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't get it. Also, is it just weird? Did Saito not have his eye patch in the first scene? I, I, they, no, yeah, like, some inconsistency everyone, everyone gets eye things halfway through the movie. If you've seen the trailers, you've seen oh. that Bato doesn't have his eye things for the first... Yeah, but we with yeah. that, we at least see his eyes get blown up. The thing with Saito is that but Saito's like, whole backstory, why he has the eye patch, is because Mochiko fucking shot him in the eye. They just flip a coin, and everyone gets these yeah. eye enhancements halfway through. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you're going to go with that, stick from it with the beginning. And just have it be implied that Mojiko shot him in the eye, like every other interpretation of his character. Right, but just going back to the elephant in the room, I don't disagree uh, about Scarlett Johansson's casting on the level that, you know, it's wrong for a white woman to play the part of the major. I Because, you know... If they'd had none of this other, like, bullcrap about she was once a Japanese woman and now she's in a white body, you know, I, I wouldn't have minded it. But they went that route, and that just makes it worse, because they're calling attention to the fact. But they're not really saying anything about it other than, oh, her rights were violated, blah, blah, blah. But I do 
think that she was completely wrong for the part. ScarJo's acting in this is so wooden. She sounds so disinterested, so uh, impassionate about her performance. Like, she just completely fails to convey the subtle emotions that the role was written for about, like, this woman trying to find her identity. Like, in the original 1995 film, Matoko is this very, like, Disconnected, hollow person. Yeah. And, but there's, like, a whole range of emotions within that monotone way she speaks in that original movie. ScarJo can't carry that. She she just she just, does, she just doesn't have the subtlety in her acting. She doesn't have the range, unfortunately. It's also kind of infuriating because where the original tried to be moody and atmospheric, the closest ScarJo gets to showing emotion is saying stupid Hollywood one-liners in this. Oh, let's let's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Apparently, uh, whoever was writing this movie. Uh, or the studio thought that audiences are stupid and they won't get the title and they won't get what the movie is about. So every so often they will come right, they right on and say, Oh, the, the ghost is your soul and the shell is your body. Ha, blah, 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 blah. So they, they fucking explain the teams again and again. And it, and it's that they get it wrong, actually. You know, that's not, it's, it's not, it's very simplified version of what the ghost and the shell are in the original film. Like, I, I, Rupert Sanders claims to be a Ghost in the Shell fan. I honestly question if he's actually seen Ghost in the Shell. Like, yeah. or if he, if he has seen, if he actually knows, like, the fucking symbolism in all that. I want to say the biggest problem with this movie and its, uh, changes and it, and it's how it dumbs down the, the, the essence of what Ghost in the Shell is for the very end. I kind of just want to move on to casting and mm. talking about the rest of the casting. Well, just a little bit. We have some more, a few characters that I. Uh, <laughs> but just to close off on ScarJo, like she can be a capable action actor in action franchise movies. Black Widow is a great character in the MCU. She does great as Black Widow, but. She was just a total misfire from Otoko Kusanagi for the major. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, she should. There should have. They, they could have found another actor for the role. Maybe I don't know. Or who else? Off the top of my head, I don't know actors that well. But I know that they could have probably found someone who could have captured the emotions that the role actually requires instead of having this really dispassionate, uninterested performance from ScarJo. That she has. Maybe a few moments. Like, I think that moving on to Bato, I think the actor who played Bato was actually really good. He was like the one. Okay, B. Takeshi was good. But yeah. aside from him, the guy who played Bato. He was snarky. He was. He, he was, was kind of because he, he, he was, was a Bato. Yeah. Yeah, Pilo Azbek. Yeah, he was good. I, I enjoyed his performance. He felt like Bato. His relationship with the major felt right. That yeah. felt like yes, that's their dynamic. That's yeah. that's how they care for each other. That's their relationship. That's that was solid. That was great. That was the one thing they got right was Bato. But what about the dogs? The dogs, yeah. Uh, the dogs. That's not. I mean, that they're basically that just felt standing unnecessary. in for. No, that's, that's the type of thing Bato showing, does, though. Yeah, it's his humanity. Bato ha- is. Actually, a that is very fair. Yeah. I'm just saying it 
didn't felt well integrated. It didn't feel well integrated into the plot. They just sort of, oh, by the way, I like dogs. Moving on! I mean, like, yes. the whole point of Bato's character is that even though he's, like, very... Most of his body is cyberized at this point, but he's still, out of a lot of people in Section 9, he is still the most human, besides mm. Tokusa. Yeah. Right, and that's a very valid point. I'm just saying there are better ways they could have showed that, and there are better ways they could have showed what they decided to do, which is literally just have him pick up bones at a market and say, oh, by the way, I'm taking care of these dogs. Uh, fucking move next scene. Cut. Chop. I mean, there was no payoff. Yeah. I agree with that. I do do think that the line we're about to was like, can you feed the the dogs are Matoko, I don't want to scare them. After, like, he gets, he gets his, his eye eyes. surgery. I, yeah. I did think that felt like a really good line. And then they just chop out, like, half the dogs anyway. Like, he only... He, there's one Basset Hound that shows up, yeah. and that's and the that's only a, dog we that see was after a good, that scene. Well, the Basset Hound rep- is, like, a thing that is very reoccurring in Mamoru Oshii's movie. Like, he, a Basset Hound is in almost every one of Mamoru Oshii's movies. So that's a shout-out to him. So that's why there's that one scene where Matoko is going and she greets that Batsit out. That's like a tribute to him in a way. I mean, that, again, that's fine, but they had showed other dogs earlier. None of them show up after that. And for all this, I don't want my new eyes to scare them. Mm-hmm. He's fucking in his penthouse with the dog later yeah. and nothing <laughs> comes of it. It's cool with him. Yeah, these dogs don't give a shit. I mean, again, there's no payoff. There's no that subplot really is just feel just attacked on way to humanize Bato a little bit, even though his interactions with Motoko I think did the job plenty already. I mean, speaking of like a big criticism I have of the entire like six and nine cast overall is that in the film and in like the TV series and all that, you kind of feel that all these characters have their own roles, like. You you know what Saito does on the team. You know what Bato does. You know what Tokusa does. But in this film, it honestly feels like you're just focusing on the major and Bato, and everyone else is just like background. They don't really establish what Section Nine even does in this. Yeah, film. exactly. They don't they don't mention that it's a hidden section within the government. Yeah. Pretty much everyone except for the major and Bato, they just sort of parade through. It's like, hey, remember this character from the original? Hi. Bye. And, and the thing is, like, yeah, Bato and the major were the main two focused characters in the original film. But other characters like Ishikawa and Tokusta still got screen time and you could still understand what their roles on the team were. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of shoutouts to Mamoru Oshii, though, unless you want to get into uh, the character of the day, uh, here. Should, should we do that right now? Do you want to? Do you want us to talk about the Mamoru, the shoutouts, the 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 heavy use of like just shot for shot recreating scenes from Oshii's film? Actually, oh. since I already just mentioned those, yeah, like, just let's do it. Yeah, so this movie claims to be based on the manga by Masamune Shiro, but it's very, very clear that it's just taking inspiration from the original 1995 animated film. Uh, and they several times in the movie, they just shot for shot recreate the most they iconic have the scenes scene in the with the spider Except tank. they execute them terribly. They have yeah. the scene with the spider tank. They have the scene where Kusanagi's invisible and she's running through the water chasing after the guy in the poncho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's totally the original guys. No, really. Yeah. So, the problem is they are almost shot for sure, making these scenes, but they're just... 
There's no, there's nothing new they're adding to them, and it just doesn't look and feel as interesting as in the original. And not to mention, like, the con, the contest in which they are employed just makes these scenes completely unimpressive and, like, removes a lot of the, like, excitement out of them, I feel, you know? Uh, so, like, and also the context makes no sense in the, in this movie because, okay, so we have Matoko diving naked in the beginning of the movie, like all ghost initial iterations, but, you know, uh, this oh. is a PG-13 movie, so we can't actually have her be naked, so she's wearing this skin-tight suit for was some reason. Was that a suit? I thought that was just her body. No, it's a suit. You oh, no, no, because later when she's on the boat, she's stripping down, and she's still got those lines... But it <laughs> it's like it's a second skin, basically, and not oh, in the cool yeah. Metal Gear Solid way. <laughs> they're just so they they go through the trouble of like, oh, she's in the skin colored suit, so it's like the original, except she's not really naked. But why does she need the skin colored suit to dive in the first place? Like in standalone complex, they got around it by saying no, she doesn't need to be naked to do the dive. Yeah. Like she can just wear clothes. So yeah, she's why didn't they? Suit. So why didn't they just have her wear clothes if they didn't want her to be naked while diving? You know, in the original movie, like, the only reason that she was naked while diving anyway is because Mamoroshi and, like, people on this have, like, wanted to be naked or whatever. So it's, like, it's not like it, they needed to be faithful to that, you know? Wasn't well, she also naked in the manga? Probably, I don't. I, no, the scene like that doesn't exist in the manga. Like, oh. that exact sequence yeah, doesn't yeah. exist. So that's what I'm saying, like, this movie takes inspiration from the 1995 film over the manga, is because the scene, they doesn't recreate any of the scenes that are in the manga necessarily, so much as how they are portrayed in the 1995 film. That's what this version is heavily cribbing off of. It's that it completely fundamentally misses the point of that movie and the spirit of every iteration of the franchise as a whole. Plus, can we just talk about how hilariously inept the opening scene is? After she goes through this whole metaphoric rebirth, you see it in the opening of every movie. She's on the operating table. Doctor comes up. is like, oh, by the way, we had to scoop your brain out, put you in a robot body. Lol. Bye. There is no subtlety, no easing her into it, no anything. Just, oh, by the way, you're RoboCop now. Have fun with that. Yeah. Like, literally, they say, oh, we... Put you in a new shell, but your ghost, your soul is the same. Like those are that's uh, right. pretty much literally the lines Ooh, they spell out. So oh, bad. that's what the title means. Oh, it's ass. Beginning of the movie, you know, they never had to do that in the original movie because Mamoru Oshii thinks his audience is smart and they will get it. But and Sid, how am I supposed to know the shell is a body? <sighs> no, no, in the original draft. She always had a shell pendant with her. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, this movie is very heavy-handed. It explains all everything about what it's about, and what it's about is shallow and short-sighted and technophobic. But we'll save those comments for later. Why don't we go into? Well, I'm sure V-Lord wants to rant about <laughs> okay. how the movie portrays the main villain of Standalone Complex Second Gig, Hideo Kuze. Speaking of kind of offensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, this, this is one thing that's really been bothering me, because 
In all the reviews I've seen for this film, they aren't mentioning Kuze at all and how he's being depicted. And maybe it's just because a lot of these people haven't watched Standalone Complex Second Gig. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I know, I know a lot. Most people who've even seen Standalone Complex haven't even finished it. Uh, but yeah. I hand to that unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. Hideo Kuze. Which I'm not even sure why he's in this film. Because he wasn't in the Oshi film at all. He was a character created specifically for Standalone Complex and written by Kenji Kamiyama. But, okay. So this interpretation of him is just downright fucking offensive. <laughs> it is awful. For people who don't know, Hideo Kuze in Standalone Complex is a refugee activist. He was a former mil- military man who saw the strife of the refugees and decided to put, pretty much go up against the government in protest. And this this was kind of the big whole, whole big thing about Standalone Complex. The main villains were always... The, the main villains, both Laughing Man and Kuze, were just these regular people who saw problems in society and decided to try to make a movement against the government. Like, Laughing Man was just like an ordinary, like, hacker guy. He, he wasn't like... Some, like, crazy supervillain person. And Kuze was just ordinary military man. He had good intentions. He may he may have went a wrong way about doing things sometimes, but at the long run, he had good intentions in the TV series. Now here, right away in this film, they portray Kuze as some psychopathic cultist murderer. He's a monster. Straight he just, up. He just goes around fucking killing, like, all the people who created him. And then he's doing some weird, like, fucking, like, drug cyberization shit in, like, his weird, like, I guess, hideouts. And even, like, when he's just talking, he just sounds like a crazy person. He sounds like Max Hedrum. He does the, good, good, good day. And the worst part of this is that in the end, they try to fucking, like, push on this, like, like kind of, like, suggested romance that fucking the Major and Kuze had. Oh, my God. Back in their original bodies, they were fucking... Okay. And then at the end, we're supposed to feel like, fucking sorry for this mass murderer psychopath. Who has done nothing but say, I've killed people, I'm going to keep killing people, and there's not a damn thing you can do to stop me. Like, you you, you felt sorry for Kuze in second gig because you knew that he had good intentions. They showed, they showed enough flashbacks, enough information about him that you kind of wanted to root for him at times because he wanted to do the right thing even though he was going up against kind of the status quo. Here he's just a fucking straight-up terrorist. Here he's supposed to be a good guy because he's got one of those Japanese buildings tattooed on his left man tit. And by the way, that's a robot man tit, so how that's even tattooed, I don't... Don't even get me started on how that doesn't make sense. Who tattooed it? Right. Oh, how does he know that's a thing if that's A, a reconstruction, not his original body... And B, he doesn't even remember because they took his memories. Like, yeah. at, at the end of the day, what really just confused me is why Rupert Sanders even thought it was a good idea to add Kuze. Most people probably haven't even fucking heard of him. And even then, why not just add the fucking main villain of uh, the original Ghost in Shell film, I forget his name, the Puppet Master? Yeah, Puppet Master. Yeah. yeah, Puppet Master. Just call him the Puppet Master. 
Yeah, literally, they could have just called him Puppet Master. It wouldn't have been the same character at all. Yeah. But it'd be it would closer be- than Kuzey. <laughs> to answer your question, the reason that he did that was just to use a familiar name from within the franchise. It How is Kuzey familiar, though? Most people don't even watch second gigs. They get bored with standalone complex. I it's just, in their logic, you know, the entire franchise okay. history, they're just digging things up. Seeing what sticks, you know? Okay, so Rupert Sanders is just an idiot. You know, the only movie he's directed before this? Snow White and the Huntsman. I'm done. I'm Everybody's done favorite, stay, sit, stay, stay. Literally, he only has directed that one movie before this. <laughs> oh, man. Guess no one else wanted to direct this movie, so they gave it to just somebody and said, Hey, this guy did... This thing, uh, he needs work. Why not? You don't just care. <laughs> That's what this movie reeks up. They didn't care. They just did not care. They did not care about what Ghost in a Shell was and is, what it represents, why it was an important film, and what makes it so unique. And they took a, just an established name. They just took it for the name. They took it for the name and the iconography, and then they recycled it with a bare-bones... Dumb down, shallow, and offensively closed-minded and technophobic sci-fi boilerplate plot that is just not what Ghost in the Shell was. And this is another thing. Each interpretation of Ghost in the Shell, Oshi's films, Sano Complex, Arise, even if you don't like Arise, like... They all have their own different messages. They aren't kind of treading on each other's themes. Here, this film is just trying to copy this the theme of the original Oshi Ghost in the Shell film, except doing it in a super Hollywood shallow way. It tries to give you its own answers instead of leaving it vague enough that you can come to your own conclusions. Look, if you're going to do a Ghost in the Shell film, do it, it, take it in a new direction. Right. You don't have to always, you don't have to kind of stay faithful to the other stuff. That's not what Ghost in the Shell fans want. They want something new. They want something new with this setting, with these established kind of themes, and pushing it to a new message. They want the conversation to move forward. And this film is moving us back. It's moving yes. us further back than what the first film establishes. The first film was about transhumanism. It was about embracing technology, embracing human integration with technology and the possibilities that will lead us. It's about, it is about transcending human. It is about, like, we are, we will still be. Transcending humanism yeah. while still being cognizant of the risks inherent in such a process. Not even of that. It's just it's it's not afraid of like well, not being losing afraid, humanity because it says we are going to be evolved being aware into a of state what can go wrong. That's not even what the original film was about. Uh, you say so. I, you have your interpretation. I have mine. I guess we have to agree to disagree on that one. I haven't this. Fair enough. I haven't read <laughs> this book that I have just been in. I've only <laughs> seen the original movie. Yeah. But. <sighs> But the, the I point mean, is, this I guess is heavy-handed, simplistic, and kind of tries to lead you by the nose. It's just it's not good. Yeah, I mean, the the original film did uh, present like 
somehow we could like lose a part of ourselves if we were interfered with through technology. But Matoko's character arc in that movie is like trying to identify like how she how how she defines her own self, her own like sense of being as someone that is not quite human but not quite AI. And the answer to that is that she transcends and she is becoming something new. She is like the evolution of what human and technology together can combine to be. And that's right. what Ghost in the Shell is about embracing is that possibility and why that is a good thing for like the uh, for hum- humanity and why we shouldn't be afraid of it. And the thing is, in this film, like, Kuze, like, tries to, like, have them do that, where, like, having, like, Motoko and him, uh, not Motoko, the Major and Kuze kind of meld together, kind of like the puppet master and Motoko did in the original film, but it doesn't amount to nothing. I find it so hilarious that they literally have him crawl up to lie beside Motoko just so they can replicate that scene. Like, it, even though in this context it makes it's no so sense. Fucking random. Even better than that, um, the baddies, uh, like, their spider tank has been destroyed. Oh, by the way, they do the spider tank because it's totally ghost in the shell, but their spider tank's been destroyed. It's like, alright, take him down. They take down, um, Kuze. And it's like, no, you killed him literally five seconds after he says, oh, by the way, I uploaded my brain to the internet so I can't fucking die because I'll just get a new body. Mm-hmm. Again, the, they, uh, the whoever is responsible for this, well, we know who's responsible, like, they think the audience is stupid, so they don't think they'll get that, oh, that's what, Kuze is still out there in the net because the net is wide and infinite. They don't think the audience will get that, and so they think, like, oh, his body's just right, oh, that's... The end of him, when uh, Ghost in the Shell was very clearly not about that. And Plus you can see that Kuze could traverse through the net and move his personality into other bodies before in the film. So, Plus, was it just me, or did his body stop operating before they shot him? It did. It, just, it makes the scene even more stupid. Yeah, so what was the point in shooting it? There was no point. So. <laughs> Oh, like his his head didn't even explode. It just like fucking like cocks to one side. That's the other thing. This movie felt oddly bloodless for as much as the major gets tossed around. It's probably yeah, that PG thirteen rating. I told yeah. you it's a bad sign. We don't. I mean, we didn't need blood for this movie to be good. We just needed. We needed a script that was smart and that knew the ideas that the original that all the other iterations were, you know, talking about. If you read the original manga by Masumune Shiro, like, there are just entire sections where Shiro is just explaining technological and technotheological concepts to you, like, where he's goes into detail about, you know, scientists uh, say that this is how things are now, but in the future, this might be how things are. And, you know, the, the, he just has all these footnotes, like, Shiro was super fascinated about the implications of technology on the humans, uh, and human self-identity, and, like, uh, and like human evolution, and it's like this movie is like so retrogressive. It says, "Oh no, technology is a bad thing. We'll lose our identity if we integrate with technology. We gotta know who ourselves are, and who ourselves are 
uh, needs to be separated from that. technology or her whatever. The like, only way to know who you is technology bad is to be made out of squishy human bits. Yeah. Which is kind of even more ironic because the whole movie is about not Kusanagi finding her identity despite being mostly robot. I can't. I don't understand why a, a, such a technophobic movie is being made in this day and age when, like, we're literally relying on technology for so much now. Like, we are getting even closer to the kind of future that the original movie postulated, where we are, like, having, like, uh, we are having, like, some form of, like, technological integration. But, like, there's a scene in this movie where there's these two business people discussing, and they're like, oh, uh, you know, I have embraced some form of uh, technological integration, but, like, I'm still wary of it, because, like, true, like, if we, I'm... We'll lose our sense of self and humanity if we adapt to more technology. And it's like, that's not... It's just such a shallow and close-minded way of looking at it. Okay, the dialogue didn't help, and that wasn't well done. I just want to point out, I don't have a problem with a character taking an attitude like that in Ghost in the Shell, but it's the entire movie taking that attitude that just... Yeah, that's what bothers me, because that's just so against the spirit of friendships. Because Togusa is a character who w- represented that viewpoint. He was, he's like pretty much full human, and he doesn't want to have cyberization or, uh, like, uh, artificial enhancements. He enjoys being a full human, and other people respect him for that, because he does have a perspective that's valuable as a full human in a team of cyborgs. But. Here he gets two lines. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. <sighs> yeah. This movie sucks. Oh, God, yes. Oh, are we even going to talk about the almost rape scene, or is that just... That felt more offensive than any of the nudity in any other iteration of this franchise. It felt more needless and <sighs> pandering. Then yep. the lesbian sex scene from the original manga. <laughs> uh, God. I mean, Jesus. fucking Motoko would be able to break out of that in like five seconds. Okay, so... It's a fucking handcuff. For those this... of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, Motoko gets escorted to a back room. And Don't what... call her Motoko. <laughs> She's not Motoko. Fair enough. That abomination. The not major yeah. gets escorted to a back room. And why she even thinks that's a good idea to begin with... I... Fucked if I know, but seriously, try and follow the chain of events on this one. They chain her to a pole, start electrocuting her, and it's pretty heavily implied that they are going to rape her. Until, like, five minutes of being tortured, she's like, Oh, by the way, I wasn't built to dance. Kicks their asses. And breaks out of the handcuffs. Why couldn't she do that to begin with? Because that's what they're talking about in that scene was totally pandering. And it ju- it victimizes the major. It, it, like, makes her character feel way more vulnerable and, like, way more objectified than she was in any other iteration. Like, Masamune Shiro is this gigantic, like... He's a perv. Let's yeah. not beat around the bush. Like, he is... He... He exploits the female body in all his manga. Then, like, other iterations of the franchise also put heavy emphasis on her bodies through, like, the male gaze. 
in sometimes very uh, voyeuristic and unnecessary ways, sometimes uncomfortable ways, perhaps. But this, that None one of scene, it was as uncomfortable not as one, this. That, yeah, that one scene. It doesn't even have any nudity. That felt just so much more uncomfortable. And it's, it's so much more more uncomfortable and, because there's no lead up to it, and nothing connects to it after afterwards. It, it's not, it's never referenced again. It doesn't connect to anything. It's just, hey, let's be really fucking uncomfortable and awful for about five minutes. Woo. The Matoka in this movie just bear, I don't mean Like, my there's daughter. a line. The major in this movie bears no resemblance to the major of any of the other iterations. She's not there's a, a confident line leader. Between stoic and disconnected, and hollow and empty. Yeah. This movie is off far on the other side of this line, running around naked, drunk. Yeah. She's not She's not strong emotionally. She's not strong intellectually. She's She basically is just carried through the plot, and, like, she doesn't really shape much of the plot on her own. She's just kind of guided through it by the course of, like, other people. Kuze and, like, the enemies, and, like, she just ends up and her mom issues. Can't forget the mom issues. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, Kusanagi now has mommy issues. Have fun with that, Gets fans. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking goddammit. I hate this film so much. I hate this film, and I'm not even that big a fan. I've only seen the original Ghost in the Shell movie, and I, I thought it was good. I really liked it, but I'm not a mega fan by any means. Yeah, this... This movie... Is just it is uh, junk food. Mm. That's not what Ghost in the Shell ever was. I, I'd argue it's not even junk food. It's a fucking garbage. It's like food. junk food that's yeah, going it, off. It's KFC. It's, no KFC. KFC is decent with the gravy, Sid. This. Have you been to KFC recently? Did it get really bad? <laughs> oh my god, Warren. Yes. Yes. KFC is inedible now. What? Popeyes is where it's at. There's still good tr- fried chicken out Popeyes there. Popeyes not the same though. It's better. Point. The, the point is, but, that, first they take away my Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> now they take away my KFC. Point is, this this movie isn't even worth being called junk food because it'll just give you horrible. It'll, it ta- it'll taste bad. It'll give you horrible indigestion, and it'll make you shit out bloody, bloody bricks of shit. It's yeah, like exactly. going to. Um, Kidoba, except you don't actually get the good burrito in the first part, just the shitting out blood later. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Soundtrack, else we need? Soundtrack was also completely unmemorable. Oh, 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 that was the best part. That was the best part. Just the ultimate, like, middle finger cherry on the cake. After this bland cyberpunk soundtrack for 90% of the movie, they play the theme from the original movie for the credits. Yeah. You, were, I, you remember my face when that happened? I was and anger and agony and desperation. You slumped down in your chair. It was adorable. It oh. was horrifying. Yeah. It was traumatic. It was really bad. This movie. Oh, no. This movie. I can't believe it. It's. it's I have never seen a movie that ha- that has offended me so much. Well, I don't know. That's a little hyperbolic. But let me say this. Dragon Ball Evolution has more merit than this movie. Yup. Yeah. 
Well, I think I think that about does it for you know the sake of our sanity. Uh, next, I think we'll talk about a movie that we surprisingly enjoyed, and uh, yeah, Power Rangers. Finally, talk about Power Rangers. The Wheaton is sadly no longer with us. Yeah, it took us a while to hide the body, but we made it work. Yes, we made it work. Hopefully he won't rise up from the dead as a zombie and uh, haunt our podcast in the future. I mean, that, that happened to Colton that one time. Yeah, that is true. Uh, well, I guess we've jinxed it, huh? Anyway, let's talk about... You know, that, that actually reminds me of something that happened in this movie. We were talking about Power Rangers. <laughs> Rita Repulsa kind of comes back as a zombie. I guess kind of. Yeah. Sort of. And then, anyway, Power Rangers, you know, we went into it thinking that it was going to be terrible. Because the trailers were terrible. It looked like, you know, it was going to take itself super seriously. You know, I barely have anything to do with Power Rangers at all. The costume designs looked ugly and undistinctive, and the entire thing looked like it was just going to be a really dull, really uber-dark experience that completely missed the fun of the source material. Basically a bunch of edgy teenagers doing edgy things. Yeah, but to our surprise, it actually turned out to be a lot of fun. Believe it or not, I can't believe this. That between the Power Rangers movie and the Ghost in the Shell movie, the Power Rangers movie is the one that actually turned out really good. Like, legitimately good. Like, I quite enjoyed the movie. There are rough spots that we'll get into. But overall, I thought that the cast was strong. I thought that the heart was there. I think it paid great respect to the franchise while updating it for a modern audience. And... I definitely see the franchise potential in this film. It's a great foundation for one. I definitely approved of it. Yeah, I was expecting this to just be god-awful, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, now there are definitely problems, and I think that we'll start off getting into them, and that the movie starts off on a really bad impression a really cliche, oh, I milked this cow. Oh, it turns out it was a bull and I was jacking this bull dick. I don't understand why they kidnapped the cow. Like, I guess because it's the mascot of their opposing team. It's the generic high school thing to do because that's totally what people do in high school, right? No, yeah. it makes no sense. It's like movie law. It's like movie teenager logic. No one actually pulls something like this. At least, not smart people. But I guess, I don't know. Maybe these kids. Well, it's well, anyway, the sequence is dumb, but it's followed up by a really interesting sequence where, like, the main character is the Red Ranger is driving the car and it's like this really weird continuous spinning shot from his perspective 
Like, it's only shot like that in the movie, but it's, like, really, really cool and really well directed. And I think that sets, like, a... It's kind of confusing to follow, but it's, I think it's, like, that ambition that you can see in that sequence that kind of sets, like, a tone for the later part of the movie. Yeah. Now, it's still, like, you know, it's kind of slow goings from there as we're getting introduced to the other characters. Uh, but, you know, it's... Becomes pretty quick that you can get acclimated to uh, Billy and yeah. I mean, the first one we get introduced to is Billy, though. No, right? Billy's the Blue Ranger. We get you. Oh yeah, I mean, Blue. I mean after the Red Ranger. Yeah, yeah. We get introduced to Jason first, the Red Ranger, of course. Uh, so you know, he first starts off at l- not at all like Jason of the show, and he's kind of this moody, like, irresponsible kid. But he has a heart of gold. And, like, he sticks up for Billy and stuff. And they form a connection. And Billy is... Billy's really interesting because he's a legitimately autistic character. And it's said in in the movie that he is on the spectrum. So he's meant to be autistic. And I think the movie's portrayal of him was very sympathetic. Um, And it didn't push too far into, like, making him a special snowflake, uh, but it didn't, like, you know, make fun of him for his disability either. Like, he was just a really, he was felt like a really, you know, true character. Like, a, he felt believable. Yeah. Honestly, it was probably my, like, favorite character in the film. I agree. I mean, there was a lot of, he had a lot of good humorous moments, and he was also very much the most sympathetic and the most, like, conventionally likable character. I could really get behind him. And, you know, uh, they do a lot of good emotional things with him. He is the emotional heart of the team. He's the reason that they're really able to unite in the end and become the Power Rangers. So, yeah, I really like Billy. He's a great character. But all the other characters are pretty good, too. Um, Except for uh, Kimberly. (laughs) Yeah, except for except for the pink ranger. Uh, okay, so the pink ranger. This is another huge problem that I had in in the movie. Is just the pink ranger because you know she's okay for the most part in the movie. Like uh, she just she has her own issues. She's being bullied at school and stuff. And you know you can kind of get behind her. Kind we get behind like her relating and forming friendships with Jason and Trini. And, uh, but, but then you kind of find out why she's being ostracized at school and, like, she totally deserves it because yeah. she sent, like, a nude photo of her friend to her boyfriend and then to the rest of the school. And, like, that is not cool, uh, taking, uh, uh, sex tweeting. What's, whatever. Sexting? I, sexting? I don't even know. Yeah, sex. It's not cool to sex. I'm not into uh, the high school lingo. Well, yeah, we're not in high school anymore. Yeah, exactly. Kind of stuff. But yeah, so that uh, that was a pretty bad decision to do to have your character do. I mean, you know, she she made a mistake. She acknowledges that, and she becomes a better person afterwards. Like she she genuinely feels mournful about it, you know, and she's probably not going to do that kind of thing again. But, you know, later on in the movie, you, there's this scene where the putties are, like, attacking and the rangers are fighting them, and, like, a putty lands on, you know, the girls that who were ostracizing her car, and, you know, one of those girls was the person, like, she sent the, the sex 
out uh, too. So you know, uh, she's the, the that person's like the victim. Like, but you're kind of when the putty falls on their car, and like you're supposed and like uh, the you, she she Kimberly's like ha yeah serves you right. And it's like was that uh, supposed to be? Was it supposed to be yeah. like satisfied about that? Like you know you they 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 like they are they're kind of you know uh. The way they're treating you isn't right, but, like, what you did is just so much worse than what they're doing to you. Like, um, I, I, you're not really justified in taking pleasure for any of their misfortunes when you cause such a big one to them. Uh, I, I was not really yeah. into that moment. I will say, just overall, I can't believe that they made Alpha 5 tar- tolerable. Like, he's legitimately <laughs> funny and legitimately likable. Yeah. He's a good mentor figure they to the Rangers. They didn't keep him annoying his, like, high-pitched voice. Like, yeah, and he has this nice, sarcastic wit. And, like, they made his I-I-I work. Like, he just says it in an exasperated tone instead of, like, this, like, excitable and, like, scaredy tone. And it's, like, it works so much better. I can't believe they made Alpha 5 work. Zordon was really interesting. Brian Cranston plays him, so you knew you were getting good performance out of there. And Zordon is a little selfish, and you know he's doing things. He's kind of reasons. a dick at the beginning. Yeah, but he also is ultimately has the heart of a hero. He wa- he wants to save the world, and for me to you know, so he's doing everything to that end. And ultimately, he does do what is right for the Rangers, and he does save Billy's life. So that was a good, like, little arc for his character, too. So Zordon was pretty relatable. He was was a pretty well-rounded character in of himself in the movie, which was pretty cool. Oh, I was also very impressed with Rita because they made her very legitimately intimidating. Uh, I mean, she is this, she's this wacky, like, comedic personality in the show. You can never take her seriously, but, like... She's kind of legit scary at points in the movie. Like, she flat out murders people. Like, sometimes her actor kind of over-the-top portrayed her, and she was, like, getting a little too crazy to take seriously. But she generally felt like an intimidating presence. And especially in the scene where she was, like, confronting Trini and, like, beating the shit out of her, (laughs) both physically and psychologically, like... That was a pretty spooky sequence for sure, too. I was very impressed with Rita. It was kind of weird that they made Goldard this, like, giant uh, gold monster thing instead of, like, a weird uh, dog person that was, like, a sidekick to her in the show. But, you know, it worked for what it is. And it just reminded me of, like, what they did to the Uzaru in Dragon Ball Evolution, (laughs) making it Piccolo's minion, you know. That was part of Goku. It was weird. Yeah. Let's not talk about Dragon Ball Evolution. But everyone loves that film, Sid. It's so good. No. (laughs) Anyway, the main complaint I could see about this film is that it does take a little long to get into the action part of Power Rangers. The movie goes about most of its runtime before they even get into the suits. I think that time is well spent into getting to know the characters and getting invested in them, in what's going on in their lives, and how it relates to their outward 
struggle to become rangers and to deal with the weight of responsibility of protecting the world from this larger-than-life threat. Yeah, I mean, I guess one way I think of it is feels like a long first episode of a Power Rangers TV show, except it's well-written and the pacing makes sense. And also it doesn't have cringy humor. Yes. <laughs> Most of the humor is generally really good in this movie, and I generally got into it, as well as the emotional moments, especially that scene where all the rangers are around the campfire and just sharing things about themselves. It was really well taught, well heartfelt, and I appreciated it. There's also, of course, the elephant in the room we should probably discuss in the Krispy Kreme Blotic placement, <laughs> which was a little distracting, not going to lie, but it had, an, but you know, it just got funny after a while and had this good comedic payoff where Rita's just eating Krispy Kreme donuts as like, as a, like a Goldar is being, is like digging up the Zeo uh, crystal, so that was pretty a pretty funny moment. So it made me want Krispy Kreme. Yeah, I did, I, did, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, it was product placement <laughs> that was done in a self-aware, humorous way. You could tell that by just the line of dialogue where Rita says, "Krispy Kreme must be a very important place." You know, they, they're totally aware of how goofy it is, so that's what makes it work for me. They're the self-awareness of it all. Overall, I think that this movie was actually really good. I quite enjoyed it, and I think it has great franchise potential. I definitely would like to see a sequel, see where they would do, uh, where they would take the, the, the movie franchise. I know uh, Ham's about has six movies planned, and there's a lot of things that they could flush out. Obviously, Rita's still out there by the end of the movie. They have Tommy, they tease, that they can bring in. Uh, they also, you know... Obviously, uh, there's more stuff to do with the Zeo Crystal, and of course, Lord Zed can show up and stuff. So there's oh, lot, yeah. lots of things to do. So yeah. I'm pretty interested in that. I think that the movie was pretty well rounded. Had some really good action scenes. Like even if it takes a long time to get to them, I think like the last thirty minutes are a pretty fun time in terms of the action. And I enjoyed the movie before that in terms of getting to know the characters. I think it really succeeded in doing its job. I can. The only reason I can see uh, it's getting such poor reception critically is just because the critics are predisposed to not like a Power Rangers movie. Also, people probably are forgetting that Power Rangers, let's be honest, the Power Rangers shows really aren't that good to begin with. Yeah, I'm not necessarily nostalgic for the Power Rangers franchise. In fact, I never really watched the original Power Rangers. Yeah, I'm nostalgic for, I guess, Ninja Storm and Dino Thunder. Yeah. But, like, even then, like, those two don't hold up that well. Yeah. Like, honestly, I can't... I used to love Power Rangers as a kid, but now I, I've tried watching, like, newer Power Rangers. I just can't sit, like, for, like, five minutes watching that without cringing. Well, newer Power Rangers is also particularly bad. Yeah. I mean... But that's the thing, like, I can, I can, I've tried watching, like, Super Sentai and stuff, and I, I, I enjoy Super Sentai. Yeah, but... It's weird. Again, newer Power Rangers <laughs> is particularly bad. You should you should watch uh, the Car's history of Power yeah. Rangers. He uh, does does not have nice things to say. That's about. literally the only way I can experience Power Rangers now through his videos because I can't sit through the shows. That's 
how I learned about most of Power Rangers because I've yeah. seen only a couple seasons of it as a kid. Thanks, Linkara. Yes. Though, this movie did legitimately make me want to get into Power Rangers on a deeper level and actually watch it. You but know, Sid, probably Ranger is better. Sure. That's besides the point. It also has a better theme song. There's no denying that. Speaking of the theme song, though, <laughs> it was a little disappointing in this movie that they didn't play the theme song for extensively. Like, they play it a little bit. They play, the they play it when, are... when they, like, merge with the Zords, finally. Yeah, but even then, it just cuts off so quickly. And, like, when the movie ends, they don't play it. They just play, We got the power! Which is pretty cliche, and also, you know, it, it's more satisfying if they had played the theme song, you know? I was not too big on that, but what can you do? Yeah. It also, was... Did the Zords always have, like, those, like, Gundam Iron Blooded Orphan Nerve Gear connectors that connect to the suits? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, they, they stole it from IBO. They, they totally stole it from Gundam. Just like how they stole Rita's death scene at the end from JoJo. Yeah, that is a... There are some JoJo references you can make about this movie. <laughs> For sure. But I think that basically sums up what we have to say about Power Rangers. I admit that taking two weeks since we've seen the movie to record about this has kind of weakened our hype to talk about it. I blame V-Lord for that, but he's the one who kept delaying it. Sorry. You're not forgiven. Aww. But that's okay. Uh, I think that at this point, you probably have already heard many great affirmations of the Power Rangers movie, but this is an additional one from people who admittedly aren't big fans of the franchise. We legitimately enjoy this movie a whole ton, and we would recommend you checking it out and supporting it so that more movies in this franchise can be made, because I think there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, go watch this instead of Ghost in the Shell. Fuck Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell movie's terrible. <laughs> burn it. Burn it. Buy tickets to Ghost in the Shell and then just burn them. We literally actually got a poster. I'm going to burn one of those posters. Yeah. I am literally going to burn one of those posters. Well, we'll film it and we'll upload it to the Manga Mavericks YouTube sometime. Yeah. But yeah, that about does it for this episode of Movie Mavericks. Episode 6 talking about Ghost in the Shell and Power Rangers. And that about does it for this episode of Manga Merrick's Ad Movies, talking about Ghost in a Shell and Power Rangers from over a year ago. This is the first of our catch-up episodes releasing all of the backlog content we recorded last year. And hopefully by the end of May, we'll have gotten through a good chunk of them. But I hope you guys enjoyed our discussions of Ghost in a Shell Power Rangers. You can find Vlord on Twitter at VLordGTZ and anywhere else he's at by that name. And you can do the same for me. I can be found as Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and Animation Revelation, my anime list, anywhere there's a Lum Ramayasha, you can find me there. Ethan does not have a social media account if I recall or at least not a Twitter he is on Facebook under Eaton Pike Noble so I'll link that in the description I guess but 
Yeah, follow him too on Facebook. And as for the show, you can follow Manga Mavericks on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. And you can follow us on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes at Manga Mavericks and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Manga Mavericks. And ratings and reviews and likes and subscribers would be greatly appreciated for both Apple Podcasts and YouTube. That really helps us out, helps the channel grow, helps us reach new audiences. So please do all that good stuff. If you have any feedback for us, you can send that to mangamavericks at gmail.com or submit questions in the Manga Mavericks thread on Animation Revelation. Or you can visit our Discord server, which we have up and running. And I should probably link in the description. I don't think we have linked uh, Manga Mavericks Discord in these episode descriptions, even though we've had it for quite a while now. So I will do that. Uh, you can check out our Discord server. We post a bunch of updates there. We ask our audience questions there. So you can hang out there if you are so inclined. And uh, for the show, you can also, of course, catch it first on allcomic.com. Follow that on Twitter, at all underscore comic. So make sure you do that as well. But that's about it for the plugs. This has been another episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies. And we will see you tomorrow in a few days i don't know but we'll see you pretty soon i think because next time we're going to dig into stuff we recorded in october two horror movies related to nostalgic well not nostalgic but kind of like how ghost and shell and power rangers were adaptations of very popular things uh the two horror movies that we're talking about are going to be adaptations of pretty popular things. And we recorded both of these in October, so that might give you a hint of what those movies are. But you'll find out soon enough anyway. So until then, sayonara!